Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. This morning, um, I wanted to kind of continue a little bit of the conversation we were having uh, last week, which was a continuation of a conversation we were having towards the beginning of the summer. The summer, as you know, has been a little bit of an odd one for us with Darren being on sabbatical, so we've had a lot of guests and, and kind of um, people who we trust to speak into our community to bring God's word to us. Um, and when Darren and I were kind of thinking through my, my uh, contribution to this conversation, um, he wanted to kind of bookend um, what we were doing uh, with guest voices with... Um, uh, a reminder of some of the conversation we started back at the beginning of the summer, and that is, what are the practices, what are the exercises, what are the, what are the disciplines, if you will, what are the muscle memory trainings that we need to go through if we're going to live the life of responsible freedom that God has set us free for? Um, because I think you know that the ones who are most uh, free are those who can say no as readily as they can say yes. Uh, we have an illusion of freedom that says, 
Freedom is being able to do whatever I want. The truth is you can't do whatever you want until you don't do a bunch of stuff that you want. Right? Uh, so, so if you haven't learned to say no, then your yes becomes increasingly meaningless. If you can't learn to, like we were talking about last week, if you can't learn to be quiet, then increasingly your voice will have weightlessness. It will, will not have meaning and impact. If you can't learn to be by yourself, your presence will be unnoticed. It is when we have learned silence and solitude that we can actually be where we are and have a voice uh, that has weight, that has density, that has substance. So this week, uh, uh, we want to kind of con- bring this to conclusion with a couple of the disciplines of community that are a bit more challenging for us um, uh, because they really harken back to what we were built for in the first place. What does it take to actually be, Genesis one twenty six, the image of God? What does it take to actually be his representatives, his ambassadors, his um, um, ones sent to the world. What does it take to actually be those kinds of people? Um, and the, the short answer is um, we need each other to enable that. We are not built to be the image of God in isolation. We are not built to be the image of God independently. In fact, the very nature of God's image requires us to be dependent on God and interdependent with one another. So the disciplines that retrain us away from our rebellion called independence are the disciplines of submission, and one subset of that is confession. Uh, The discipline of submission says, uh, I will get along. I will play nice with Strangers, I will play nice with people on the playground. I will not insist on my own way. Even when I'm right, I won't insist on getting what I want. And when I do get what, uh, what, what I want, I won't lord it over those who have given way to enable that. And when I don't get what I want, and it turns out that what I wanted would have been the best way anyway, I won't gloat. Nor will I say, I told you so in Jesus' name. That's, in, in a nutshell, that's what the discipline of submission says. It's a choosing to, to align my life uh, for the greater good with others, um, whether it's in marriage, whether it's in a friendship. Proverbs, uh, Ecclesiastes is, is clear. You two, two can't walk the same road unless they're agreed. So submission is, it has, has unfortunately... Uh, been mis- misused by, in my view at least, it's been misused by the church to brutalize uh, particularly women uh, who have heard that the Bible says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, which in fact it doesn't say in quite that way. Um, and it's within the context of mutual submission that it actually does say that. So we want to talk about that. And remember in this, and, and this, is, this is challenging for our Western culture because we, we, we have made a, a deity almost, a god of independence. Uh, and the Western culture is about the only one, in fact, that you can actually do that. In every other culture in the world, two-thirds world, you try that and you're going to die. 
But in Western culture, I don't need a three in the morning phone call person. I just dial 911 and the society comes to my aid. So I can actually live without meaningful human connection my entire life. And we pay the price for that. We pay the price for that. And it is a massively heavy price. Uh, my primary audience on Monday through Thursday is 18 to 22 year olds. Uh, and the longing of the millennial is for community. The challenge is they don't know how to do it and be independent. The answer, you can't. If you're going to choose to live in harmony with brothers and sisters, you're gonna to have to give up some of your autonomy. You're gonna to have to make a decision with your independence to submit it to the community. So that's kind of where I'm going, uh, and now would be a good time to slip out if you don't want to talk about that. Um, uh, by the way, it's important that we recognize how important this is because we, can I, can I just use this illustration? We have a name for the cells in the body that insist on going their own way. It's called cancer. There is a cancer in the body of Christ that is about independence over submission, over interdependence. And in a culture that stresses leadership, church culture that stresses leadership so highly, one of the things that we probably need to underline, you can't lead unless you first learn to submit. I have a friend who tells me that um, the, the first year uh, of uh, being a Marine is to, to break down your independence and teach you how to follow so that the second year they can teach you how to lead. And I think there's something to be said for the idea of choosing to align our wills with that of another so that we can be... Um, uh, together stronger than we are apart. Uh, it, 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 submission can't be coerced, it can't be forced, uh, it can only be earned and then offered. So if we're going to learn life from Jesus, uh, it's important that we find, uh, follow him around. Um, one of the earliest lessons we have to learn from him, I think, is to submit our wills uh, to his. And it, it is important that we recognize that Jesus can do this because he himself learned how to submit. He himself learned how to lay down his right to self-assertion. Look at this text as a, as a framing text to start us off with. Um, Christ Jesus, this is halfway through verse five of Philippians chapter two, who even though he was in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Being found in appearance then as a man, he humbled himself even further by coming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And that is why God was able to exalt him to the highest place, give him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the very foundational text here in Ephesians, in, in Philippians chapter 2, underlines that Jesus, when he asks us to follow him, when he asks us to obey him, is not asking us to do anything that he himself has not already done. He has laid down, he has submitted, even, I'm going to try and redeem that word. I'm failing with awesome. It, it keeps getting misused. But I'm going to try to redeem submission. I'm going I'm to try to redeem that in your hearing this morning. So Jesus, in his obedience, in his submission to the Father, modeled for us uh, the way to live. Now, now if, you, if, you, if you keep following along with him, you'll notice that it is very fundamental. I'm just going to snapshot three or four verses. Sarah and I are going to kind of tag team back and forth uh, with this. Look at, look at when Jesus is questioned about why he does. Look what he says. Very truly, I tell you, the Son, listen to this, can do nothing of himself. Now, is that true? That's not true. The son could do whatever he wanted. Why? He's God. So when he says the son can do nothing of himself, what he's saying is the son has chosen to do nothing of himself. Whatever, he only does what he sees his father doing because what the father does, the son does also. Here's another one. I can do nothing of myself. True? Not true. He can do whatever he wants. So when he says that, what is he saying? I am choosing to do nothing of myself. I judge only as I hear. My judgment is just. I don't seek to please myself, but him who sent me. Or here's another one. I do not speak on my own. The Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his commandment eternals, leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. So Jesus is saying fundamentally the things that I say, the things that I do, are done and said because of my submission to the way and the will and the work of the Father. Do you track with me on that? How many of you are angry at me for saying that Jesus didn't say what was true at the beginning of each of those two verses? I noticed that there was a definite chill in the room. You don't go up against Jesus. But remember, what he's trying to do here is shock us into an awareness such that he says his love compels him to the degree to which he now, because of love, can not do what he would otherwise be able to do. Does that help? Not so much. Okay, well, we'll keep working at it, um, and I'll change it for the 1115. <laughs> so uh, this is how Jesus made decisions. He only did so. Why did he heal the people he healed? That's what he saw the Father doing. Why didn't he heal the people he didn't heal? Because there were stuff, people that Jesus didn't heal. Why not? It's not what he saw the Father doing. Why did he raise some people from the dead and leave the majority there? Why? That's what he saw the Father doing, so that's what he did. Why did he say what he said when he said it? Because that's what he heard the Father saying. And, and for him, you can hear this in this last verse, it's like, well, what else would I say? My Father has the words of life. I'm giving you the words of life. 
I don't, I don't need to be adding on to this. I just need to be faithful to what he has said. This is submission in its purest and truest form. Does that make sense? So if we're going to learn to follow Jesus, we have to learn to follow him in his submission, in his surrender, in his obedience, because he gets that the Father knows best. So why would he do anything? And, and here's, here's the dilemma for us. We're not convinced that the Father knows best. We really think that our shortcut will get us there. And so we're, we're paying attention to our little GPS system in our heads, and we're ending up in the middle of Death Valley wondering how in the world we got here. Does that make sense? Jesus was not listening to his GPS. He was listening to his Father Trained to the Father's voice by silence is what we were talking about last week. That makes sense? So in this, you'll notice that Jesus invites us into that same pattern and practice of living. Look at this passage here. This is the one that just floors me. If you love me, keep my commands. Now, we have heard him say that with a little bit of a tone. If you love me, do what I tell you to do. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, guys, as you grow, as you mature, as you develop, I don't want you to be little kids anymore. I don't want you to do what I tell you to do because you're going to get whacked in the back of the head if you don't. I don't want you to do what I tell you to do because I'm going to send you to hell if you don't. That's, that's off the table for you. My love has made it possible for me to count on you simply and only, not because of coercion, not because of fear, not because of guilt, but because of one thing, one thing only, the most powerful force in the universe for aligning all the iron filings of our souls into alignment with the purpose of the Father, and that is love. It's the only thing that'll do it. So if you love me, I'm going to know because you do what I ask you to do. John plays the same song three or four different times in one, two, three, John at the back end of the Old Testament, uh, New Testament. Does that, does that make sense? So he invites us to be so in love with him that it would not be onerous to hit us, it would not be problem to us, it, will, it would not be a challenge to us, right? It's like, it's like um, um, you, 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 you've, you've heard this story, the guy who walks into his wife's room as she is recovering from a stroke. And the left side of her face has fallen. And it is a stroke that is premature. She's a young woman. And what does this husband do out of love for his wife? Her face fallen. He leans over and he distorts his lips to match hers as he kisses her in her new beauty. What enables that kind of lining up submission? It's love. That's what enables that. So Jesus says to us, if you love me that way, I don't, I don't want you to be little kids with me having to tell you what to do. In fact, here's the deal, guys. If you love well, you can do anything you want. This is Augustine. Love God and do what you want. That's how powerful love is at bringing us into alignment with dependent relationship on God who is love 
in our treatment of one another. And by the way, just in case you're not clear what it was that Jesus commanded us to do because we love him, here's what he says. I love one another. Oh, by the way, did you notice how? As I have loved you, love one another. How did he love us? Nobody wants to say. He submitted himself to us. He laid his life down for us. He didn't insist on his own way. Remember the battle in the garden where Jesus could have chosen and in fact did want to choose his own way. And finally, out of love for the Father and love for us, said what? Not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus says, when you do this well, put that back up again, Sarah, sorry. Oh, back up, there we go. That's how people will know you're aligned with him. That's how they'll know you're his disciples. When you love, even though it's not convenient. When you lay your life down for your friends and your enemies, because that's the kind of person you are. You have been framed, shaped, formed in the muscle memory of loving submission, having it modeled for us by Jesus. Now we are invited into it in our treatment of one another, right? I watched my dad, who was probably... Um, as a, he's a, uh, was, was one of the most um, uh, unapproachable in some ways because of his insecurities and fears. Uh, he, was a, he was a good man, a godly man, but a terrified man in much of his life. Um, and particularly, uh, and I get this, he just was horrified that people might laugh at him, Right? And I watched him in the final two years of my mom's cancer humble himself in ways that I, prior to that time I would have thought impossible. As my mom, five foot nothing, got smaller and smaller in her cancer, my dad got bigger and bigger in his care for her. He would carry her purse. He was a manly man. That was not what men do in the 1970s and 60s. He didn't he just didn't do that. He would carry her purse. He would help her with her makeup. He would help her with, even though he thought it was an abomination that my mom wore makeup. And just the way he was raised in the 30s. You, you know what I'm saying? It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what love does. Now, how do you plan to learn that? How many would like the benefits of that kind of community? Anybody want to pay the price for that kind of community? Because that's the, that's the deal, isn't it? It's like, you go first. <laughs> Let me know how that works out for you. That's why Jesus doesn't trust us to go first. He did it first. That's why he doesn't say, when Paul gets a hold of this a little bit later on, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, you go first. No, he says, Husbands, you love your wife in the way that Christ loved the church. He laid his life down for it. That's what made it possible for the church to submit herself to Christ. That's what makes it possible for a wife to submit herself to her husband because her husband has already 
submitted himself to her. He has already laid down his desires, his dreams, his hopes, his ambitions in service of her hopes, her dreams, her ambitions. Do you see? And now we can say, well, my hopes and my dreams, my ambitions, let's put all of that aside and figure out what we can do together. Not how you can help me accomplish my dreams, but, or really how I can help you accomplish yours, but how together we can do something that neither of us dreamed possible is independence. Do you see what he's up to here? This is genius. This is just sheer genius, which is why we don't get it. Because <laughs> it doesn't compute, right? It doesn't fit. Because uh, we know how to get ahead. There's television series and reality shows that will tell us how to get ahead. And it's by self-assertion. It's by cutthroat, Machiavellian manipulation of outcomes. And if that's the kingdom you want, good luck with that. We've been trying that for a few thousand years. It's not working out so well for us. But if you want to go back home, if you want to learn to be the image of God again, submission is the only way there. And you're going to have to train yourself in behavior before your belief follows. You're going to have to train yourself by doing before you feel like it. You're going to have to choose to trust before he or she has earned your trust. It's a hard one for us, which means you have to become so solid in who you are that you can absorb the disappointments of other people without being knocked off your game. You see what he's doing here? Jesus says the only way you can get to the place where you love your enemies is by becoming so solid, so strong, so capacious in your love that you don't even have or recognize other people as enemies. Just like your father. You see what he's doing? See where this is going. So he invites us into this, into this reality. And of course, the truth is, um, he teaches us this. This is this way of central uh, submissive living is central to our witness. We just talked about that. Look at what Jesus says to his disciples who on the way to the cross are warring about which of them is going to be the greatest. He calls them all together and says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. They're experts in how to get ahead. Their high officials exercise authority over them. That's why they want to be high authorities, so they can get people to do what they tell them to do. But Jesus says, and I think this is a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but that's not how it is with us, right, guys? As they have been arguing about which of them was going to be the greatest. He says, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, not as strategy, but as a mark of greatness. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And then again, he plays the card. I just about said the trump card, but I can't do that anymore. <laughs> Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. How many are enjoying having been served by Jesus? About a quarter of you. Oh, we love that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
that you didn't insist on your own way because that cross would have been empty on a Friday. Instead, instead. Huh? And how many of you have noticed how he accommodates himself to your particular kind of crazy day in and day out? He meets us where we are. He meets us in our disappointments. He meets us when we are disappointed in him. He takes all of our brokenness and he finds a way to weave it into the fabric of our beauty. How does he do that? By not insisting on his way. By leading with love. There is an enormous freedom from not having to be right. Not having to have the last say. Do you, do you see? And he invites us into this in our relationships. Of course, you hear this echoed in Paul's teaching. The first part of the passage in Philippians that we looked at, I'd like you to see where Paul's, why he trots out that example of Jesus in verse 5 of chapter 2. Look what he says in verses 1 through 4. Do, if you have, if there's any encouragement from being united with Christ, if there's any comfort from his life, if there's any common sharing of the Spirit, if there's any tenderness and compassion, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain. The Greek in here literally says empty conceit. You're not all that in a bag of chips. Right? Instead, look at the next one. In humility, value others above yourself not looking to your own interests but each of you look to the interests of others in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus and then he goes on to explain what that mindset is this is a, this is so hard for us we don't even know how to merge in our freeways which requires the embodiment of this give way friends give way make room no no, if I do that, I will be behind this person <laughs> till the next off-ramp. I've got to make sure that they know how to merge. <laughs> right? And we do this in every aspect of our lives. Why? Because we just know better. Now, what that says, by the way, is more about our insecurity and fear than it is about anything else. Again, please notice, when I get more controlling about people and things out the outside edges, when I am more anxious about what everybody else is doing, it's because I'm terrified somebody will discover how out of control I am at the center. So here's Paul's strategy as he goes forward in this, the practical outworking, or he says in Ephesians chapter five, Submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Please notice, let's just keep that up for just one sec. Please notice how Paul is there establishing that dependence that enables our interdependence. Fear of Christ establishes our reconnection to the Father. Right? It, if you follow my illustration from a few months ago, it, it reties the kite string that enables us to fly. Right? And now we can be interdependent, we can be mutually submissive to one another because I don't need, I don't have to have my own back. I have a heavenly father who knows what I need. I don't have to guarantee outcomes for my own safety. 
Now, this is not talking about being stupid or silly or irresponsible. You can't do that and submit. Submission is a full, engaged, whole being process. This is not about weakness. You can't submit if you're weak. You can only submit if you're strong. If you have a good sense of yourself in who you are in Christ. By the way, the next verse is where we get into what the implications of it in terms of marriage and, and so on and so forth. But please notice, what Paul is talking about here is husbands submitting to wives and wives submitting to husbands, both having submitted to Christ. That's what it makes possible. It's the only thing that makes marriage possible, by the way. It's the only thing that makes friendship possible. You got to learn to live with somebody who's not you. You got to walk together. So um, Paul tells us what this is going to cost us, what the price is going to be uh, in, in terms of our pattern of relationships. So back in, in this next passage, he says, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you <clears throat> have, live a life that is worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bear with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Go ahead. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Do you see what he's doing here? This submission brings us into alignment with one another. And then look at verse 7. Then to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. The diversity of gifts, the diversity of ministries, the diversity of meaning, the diversity of expression, the creativity of what it means for you to be fully, gloriously your wild and crazy self is made possible as you are part of the body, as you are part of the, of the oneness that is ours in Christ. Do you see what he's doing here? Otherwise, you're just a wackadoodle out there in the middle of nowhere with nobody to give account to, right? What makes it possible for that crazy uncle to come home for Thanksgiving? Because he's the uncle. He's family. He has a place here. Everybody knows, and it's okay. Do, do you see? If he didn't have family, he'd just be another odd person talking to himself out on the street. But he does have family. And he does belong. And there are people that you will never get along with. That's okay. Get along with them anyway. You see what he's saying here? Be part of the solution of unity. Then your individuality can flourish. The body, physical body, has no problem figuring this out. They don't vote on whether the elbow is going to be an elbow today. It just does elbowy things. And it does it pretty flawlessly, right? But in our culture, it's the elbow saying, look, I've been down here a long time. I think it's time for a promotion. I think I need to have a greater say in how things are going. I think it's time for me to move up to being a shoulder. What do you think? No, you don't work like a shoulder. You go this way and shoulders go this. It's not the same. I have an illustration in my head that I'm not going to use. So, what does this mean? What does this mean? 
Context submission is in the context of mutuality. Please note as parents, you need to submit yourselves to your children as a way of raising them up in a way that's appropriate to them. You have to learn them. Do you see? Leaders. If you want to empower young leaders, guess what? You got to get out of their way and submit yourself to them. It's a lesson that men of my generation are, are being massively challenged with right now. Right? We've got this whole burgeoning community of, of young leaders who want to have place, and particularly in the church. And guys my age are saying, no, no, no. I got this. I'm right in the prime of my game. No, you're not. You're 60 years old. You're not in the prime of anything. Get out of the way. Right? And what do you do when you get out of the way? You come alongside and underneath and support the 30-somethings, do you see, who will do ministry in different ways than you ever did it, right? For the glory of God and the good of humanity and the saving of the world, for God's sake, get out of the way. Because then you will help others in the way. You see? Now, what makes this possible? Laying aside my will for the sake of another, not having to be right all the time, not having to get the last word, not having to say, I told you so, and not whining or being resentful when I didn't get what I want. What makes this possible? Um, I'm, I'm tight on time, but can you bear with me for a couple more minutes? The discipline that makes this possible is confession. So it's a subdiscipline of submission that says, I'm going to choose to own my crap. I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to let that secret have power. Look at what, what uh, we, because we first have to own our stuff with God. So here's Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, when I didn't talk about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Secrets have power until they're not secrets anymore. This is what empowers shame, by the way. Shame takes something that I did that was wrong and, in, and disconnects it from the behavior and connects it to the character. It's not that I did something wrong, it's that I'm wrong. It's not that I did something bad, it's that I'm bad. And now I can't dare let anybody into my dirty little secret. And guess what happened? It metastasizes. It grows. And shame now becomes the single most empowering, actually disempowering part of your inner life. What's the remedy? Confession, right? Look at here at 1 John 1, verses 8 uh, and following. Um, 
If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth isn't in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just, he'll forgive us our sins, purify us from unrighteousness. So if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So own your stuff that everybody knows is true, is what he is inviting us into. Here's James, Jesus' little brother. This is a real troubling passage, so I'm not going to talk about it. I'm just going to let it sit. <laughs> Is anybody among you in trouble? Let them pray. If anybody happy, let them sing songs of praise. If anybody's sick, call the elders. Pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sin, what? They will be forgiven. By what? By coming to the elders. Look at what he says. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you can be healed. It's the prayer of the righteous person that's powerful and effective. This raises all kinds of questions for me, not because I don't understand what it says, but because I do. It means we don't get to hide if we're going to be in community. So what I'm going to invite you to do today, um, just in conclusion, is, is to start this practice of submission by bringing yourself before the Lord. We don't do this too often, but I've written out a prayer of corporate confession. And I'm going to ask you just to, would you mind just bowing your heads for me with me for just a minute? And let's set ourselves before the Lord. Holy Spirit of God, I just invite you into this moment. As we um, come before you as your children, as your enemies sometimes, as your friends at other times. We want to we wanna come clean before you, Lord. And, and I pray for those who are sitting in this auditorium this morning for whom I'm not sure I want to come clean. I'm not sure God can be trusted with my stuff. I get it. But maybe this is a chance to give him a chance to bring your stuff before him. To bring your stuff before him. Would you stand with me? Let's just pray these words together as a community. If you want to say them out loud with me, uh, let's do this together. Holy Father, we humble ourselves, bowing our hearts and heads before you, confessing that we have seen ourselves in the mirror of your righteousness. Give us courage not to look away. We confess that too often we have enjoyed the wonder of your creation without turning to thank you. Instead of worshiping you, we have given our hearts and bodies to other things. We have become greedy, envious, deceitful, and malicious. We have crafted new ways of rebellion and disobedience and have become untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful, proud, and arrogant. We have stood tall in our stubborn self-righteousness and looked down on others, considering ourselves better than they. And in so doing, we join them, none of us better than any other. We have taken advantage of your kindness to continue in self-destruction. 
Help us now to take advantage of your kindness to repent, to turn from our destructive ways, to walk in wholeness. Father God, forgive us our sins. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Spirit of God, fill us with life anew. Create within us clean hearts. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. Because our prayers do not rest on our righteousness, but on yours, we know that we have been heard, that our sins are forgiven, that we are made whole, and we give you thanks. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org. Well